If you have your Bibles, we are not in Ecclesiastes today. We are going to be in Psalm chapter 16. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. This summer, if you've been a part of King's Cross, you've been asking the question, what is the good life? And you've primarily been going through Ecclesiastes. And today, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 16, continuing to ask that same question, what is the good life? And we're going to answer that from Psalm 16 today, that the good life is simply enjoying God. And we're going to talk about that together. So give attention to the reading of God's Word. We're going to read all of Psalm 16. And so let's, uh, let's give attention. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray once again before we go to the word together. Heavenly Father, we know that this can seem strange to some from reading words from a book so many thousands of years ago. But Father, this is more than a history lesson. And this is more than an intellectual exercise. But Father, this is an opportunity for the God of the universe to meet and speak to his people. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that. We come with expectant hearts and relying on the Holy Spirit for you to do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, there are a few words that just don't seem to belong together, like accurate estimate, or my favorite when you order jumbo shrimp. Uh, Also, many of you looked at the sermon title and maybe thought, enjoying God. Now, there are two words that don't seem to go together. Now, Merriam-Webster gives us the definition of enjoyment as happiness or satisfaction or taking pleasure in. And let's be honest today, how many of you, whether you would describe yourself as a Christian or you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, would associate enjoyment with God, right? If you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian, you likely don't even believe in the existence of God. But if you did believe in the existence of God, many of you may not even like him, right? You're like, God may exist but I don't want anything to do with him because I don't associate pleasure with this God of the Bible. If anything, I think of uh, this God of the Bible kind of like the 10-year-old with a magnifying glass over an anthill who just exists to make our lives miserable, right? Many of us think about God that way. 
Uh, I remember uh, when I graduated from high school as a senior, maybe some of you recently graduated from high school, I remember as a senior thinking very distinctly that I believe in God, that he exists, but God is over here, and pleasure and fun, they're over here. And I had no idea how to reconcile those two things together. But even if you wouldn't describe yourself as a Christian or even believe in God, let me ask you this. How happy are you today? Well, there was a recent Harris poll, uh, and this Harris poll showed that only one out of three Americans described themselves as being happy. And so many of us who would not describe ourselves as Christians wouldn't associate enjoyment with God, but even without God, many of us don't really think of our lives as being happy. Now, let's talk about Christians. How many of you who have been Christians for maybe a long time in your life would even think of enjoyment when it comes to God? Now, if I'm honest and I think about Christianity or God, the things that I would associate with God are things like fearing God uh, or maybe even honoring God or maybe even trusting God or loving God, but I don't normally think about enjoying God, finding pleasure and satisfaction in God. For many of us who have been lifelong Christians, sometimes church can feel like going to the dentist, right? We know it's something we ought to do, but we don't necessarily enjoy it. I remember that as a kid when I was six years old. I remember going to Christian camp for the very first time, and it was this overnight sleepaway camp, and imagine this. I had fun with a bunch of Christians, and for the first time, I began to associate God with something other than hard pews, cheap carpet, and having to be quiet in church. The solution for me was simply to become a preacher so I could talk in church. And so if you have trouble being quiet in church or any of your kids, just tell them to become a preacher. You get to talk the entire time in church. We don't know how to enjoy God, I think, even as Christians. But I want you to know this, that we, uh, in our branch of Christianity, are committed to enjoying God. Now, some of you may be familiar with what's called the Westminster Standards. It's sort of a summary of theology about the things that we believe that the Bible teaches. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism are questions that help us understand that theology. And the very first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is the meaning in life? What is the purpose of your life? What do we believe that the Bible says is the point of humanity? And the Westminster Shorter Catechism says what? To glorify God and do what? Ah, see, you've been catechized, some of you in the room. I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's great. I love the catechism. We do it with our kids, and it's really helpful. Think about that. We are wholeheartedly committed to pursuing God's glory and our enjoyment forever. We believe that pursuing God and glorifying him is where the deepest satisfaction, the deepest happiness in life can possibly be experienced. Now, I'm grateful for several theologians and, and authors who have written about this. Blaise Pascal, 
Uh, if any of you read John Piper or Sam Storms, these are some theologians and pastors who, who talk a whole lot about what it means to enjoy God. If you've never read Desiring God by John Piper, I highly encourage you to read that this summer because it reminds us that our, our whole purpose in life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And so that's what we're going to talk about today really briefly from this passage from Psalm 16. We wanna ask that question, how do we enjoy God forever? So three answers from this text. Uh, let's look down at verse one. Looking at verse one, it, uh, it says, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Now, if you were looking up above uh, and see that it was written by David, you might understand a little bit about the context of Psalm 16. What was happening in the life of David when he was writing this psalm? Well, most commentators think that David was writing this, get this, while he was on the run from Saul, while he was being pursued by his former mentor who was trying to kill him living in a cave, he wrote this psalm about enjoying God. So keep that in mind that in the midst of this psalm, in the midst of David writing about enjoying God, he is in a dangerous and difficult set of circumstances. He is even possibly thinking about being on the verge of death. And so think about that context of hardship. And he says, I have no good apart from you. My lot has fallen in pleasant places. You know, that's hard to do, right? Because we as Christians don't stick our head in the sand and think that everything is just pixie dust and fairy tales. We're very aware that we live in a fallen world where there's sin and there's brokenness and there's hardship that we oftentimes live in a cave and it's, it's hard to praise God in the midst of difficult circumstances. So how do we enjoy God even when life is not easy? Well, notice what David did in verse one. Enjoying God means enjoying the person of God. Enjoying God means enjoying the person of God. Now, how do I get this out of the passage? Well, if you look at verse one and in verse two, David actually uses three different names of God in these first two verses. Why is he doing this? Because he's reminding himself who God is. He's dwelling on the person of God. He's getting to know God in the midst of difficult circumstances. So in verse one, when he addresses God, he says, uh, you preserve me, O God. Now, that's the most common word for God, the most common name is El, and it simply means this. You are the strong one or the mighty one. He's reminding himself that God is powerful. Now, the second name that he uses for God is in verse two. Whenever you see Lord in all caps, it means, particularly if you're using an ESV Bible, it is the covenant name of the Lord, right? It's Yahweh. Now, who was Yahweh? Yahweh was the name that God had given to Moses, right? Yahweh is the name that God had given to the people of Israel when he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. 
I am Yahweh. And so David is reminding himself that not only is God powerful, but God is also personal. And then looking again at verse two, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. He says, I say to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. What does Adonai mean? It means king. He is declaring that God is sovereign over his life. So what does David do in the midst of difficult circumstances? He is enjoying the person of God by dwelling on the character of God. Friends, when life doesn't make sense, when you don't understand what God is up to in your life, enjoy the person of God by looking at who he is, that he is powerful, that he is personal, and that he is sovereign. You see, God is not just an abstract thing, an idea, or a concept. He's not like the force in Star Wars, but he's an actual uh, person who has existed before the foundation of the world as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So enjoying God means simply enjoying him as a person. Take this down for a moment just to a human level, right? My wife Kelly is up front here. Uh, We celebrated our 11th anniversary uh, this summer, and so we've uh, known each other for about 13 years, and so we know each other, good and bad, right? Uh, We have a lot of data points about uh, our character and that uh, we are for one another. And so at times in our life, I may not know exactly what she's up to, but I trust her, even on simple things like coming back from Atlanta from a road trip, and it's our 11th anniversary that weekend, and she says, I have a surprise. I can't tell you what we're going to do, but trust me. And I can. Why? Because I know her character. I know she loves me. I know she's for me. And so even though I don't have all the information, I can trust her in those circumstances. Friends, if we can do that on a human level, how much more can we do that with the God of the universe who is all-loving, all-powerful, all-wise, and all-sovereign? If we get to know the person of God, we can enjoy him even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Now, as I thought about that this week, that's kind of a tall task this summer, right? What is the good life? Enjoy God this summer. It's kind of like, okay, enjoy the God of the universe this summer. That seems like a tall task. Well, it's kind of like that old saying or the question, you know, how do you eat an elephant? Well, one bite at a time, right? How do you get to know the God of the universe? One minute at a time. As you have opportunity this summer, get to know the person of God through talking about God with one another in your gospel life groups. Get to know God by spending time in his word. Find five minutes or 10 minutes to get to know Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Enjoying God first means enjoying him as a person. Next, though, the next uh, part of this psalm is in verses three through eight. And David not only enjoys the person of God, but he enjoys the gifts of God. And there are a lot of gifts in this passage. Let me just summarize them into three, three gifts that David enjoys. Verse three, look down, it says, as for the saints in the land, 
They are the excellent ones. Now, who is David talking about? The saints in the land are opposed to the angels in heaven, and the saints in the land are talking about Christians, they're talking about the people of God. And so David is saying that he is enjoying God by relating to the people of God. Um, many of you know that I'm, I'm on staff at McLean Presbyterian Church, and um, one of my duties is, is to lead uh, staff devotions uh, with our staff through, throughout the year. And uh, the thing that we did this last year was we asked um, each of the staff to be able to answer this question. How are you experiencing the love of God in your life? And as each of the staff shared over the course of this past year, I got to know God more through hearing the stories of other believers because they've experienced the Lord in ways that I haven't experienced him. And so I was able to enjoy God by enjoying the people of God. It's the same point of being in a gospel life group by being around the people of God who talk about God, who share their experiences of God. I can actually enjoy God by enjoying the people of God. Now, the next gift that David enjoys here is look down at verses five and six. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, in verses five and six, David is enjoying God by resting in the providence of God. That's what it means by he holds my lot and my lines have fallen in pleasant places. It means that God is sovereign and that there are no accidents in life and that I am in the place that I am in because God has directed it so. And what does chosen portion mean? It means that as we pursue and seek after God, he alone will fulfill us. Now, what does that look like? How do, we, how do we rest in the providence of God on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, one of the ways that we try to practice that in the Stevenson family uh, is something that my wife introduced to our family. It's not, it didn't originate with her, but at our family dinner table, we regularly do this thing called rose, bud, and thorn. You may have some variation of that, but with our three little boys, we go around the table on a regular basis, and everyone has to share uh, their rose from the day. Uh, what was something uh, that you enjoyed about today? What was good about today? In the providence of God, what did he bring into your life that was a blessing? And then we talk about our thorns because we acknowledge that we live in a fallen world. And what are some things that you didn't like about today or didn't understand or struggled with today? And then we share our bud, something that we're looking forward to. And so this sets life in perspective. It enables us to look back on our day and to recognize the providence of God in our life. Enjoying God means resting in the providence of God. Now, that's hard to do sometimes, right? You say, oh, pastor, that's easy when you get to sit around your dinner table with your family and your, your three kids and talk about God's blessing in your life. But remember, David is writing this while he's living likely in a cave 
with Saul attempting to kill him. Sometimes it's hard to see the roses in our life. And look there what David points to. He points to his beautiful inheritance. Friends, we have to frame our life in the providence of God and to see his perspective that no matter how bad our day may go, no matter how bad our year may be going, no matter how bad our life seems to be going, that for anyone who is in Christ, you have an inheritance that can never perish, that can never fade, and that is kept in heaven for you by God. That in the midst of life's difficult circumstances, we have an inheritance that can never ever be taken away from us, and it is worth more than anything else in the world. And if we get a small glimpse of what that inheritance would be like, we would literally be willing to go through hell on earth to get it. Friends, we have a beautiful inheritance. Psalms 6, Psalm 16, 5 has really become my theme verse for this summer, that the Lord is my chosen portion, that he is my lot. It means this, we enjoy the gifts of God, but we remember that those gifts come from God. And there's nothing more important in my life than the Lord, right? This is something that God has had to beat into my head throughout my entire life. There are so many things in life that I love. But my temptation and my struggle is to enjoy these things often more than I enjoy God himself, right? I love my family. I love my job. But you know what? My family is not my life. They are not my chosen portion. My job is not my life. It is not my chosen portion. Jesus is my life. And when that goes deep into our souls, that changes us, right? Because family is important, but if God fills our cup then a lack of one or a hard one doesn't crush us. If God fills our cup, our career is important, but it's subordinate to God. If God fills our cup, our health is important, but when it fails, we can grieve with hope. Why? Because Jesus is our life. Friends, the psalmist enjoys God by resting in the providence of God. And then the last gift that I want to mention in Psalm 16 that David highlights is in verse 7 through 8. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. What is his counsel? It's the word of the Lord. The psalmist enjoys God by rehearsing the precepts of God. The counsel of the Lord comes through his word and his spirit. You see, friends, if God is the most loving being in the entire universe, if he's the wisest being in the entire universe, and if he is more committed to our pleasure, our satisfaction, and our happiness than any other being in the world, then his word is meant for us to experience happiness and life and pleasure and joy and freedom. 
And so how do we enjoy God? We enjoy God by being in his word. We just ordained new deacons at our church, and one of the deacons was talking to me about their experience in the officer training class, and we we spend a, a year together really diving deep into the Word of God. And he said, you know, when I, when I first was nominated as a deacon and I learned we were going to kind of do this officer training, this class for a year, I was kind of like, oh, man. But I got to tell you, as we studied the Word of God and the theology of God, I got to tell you how much I enjoyed God more this last year. That's what the Word of God will do in our life as we spend time in it We will enjoy him because we are committed to his word that we believe that following it leads to ultimate satisfaction and pleasure. So second thing, enjoying God means enjoying his gifts. Now, how do you do that this summer? What is the good life? It's simply this. Whatever you do this summer, whatever gifts you enjoy, do it all to the glory of God. Connect the gifts that you experience in your life directly to the hand of God. Now, it doesn't feel like summer right now. How about the weather this weekend, right? You know, mid-70s, it felt like the fall this weekend. It's fantastic. But it is summer. And for many of us, we create a little bit more margin in our life this summer to do some things that we can't do throughout the year. We see extended family. We go to the beach. We, we take trips. We hang out at the lake. We spend more time with our kids when they're out of school, maybe. And how are we to enjoy the good life this summer? Enjoy the gifts that God has given to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whether you're barbecuing in your backyard, whether you're sipping sweet tea, connect those gifts to the hand of God. Whether you're taking a walk on the beach or you're a swim in the lake, recognize that those good gifts come from the hand of God. Read a novel, go to a baseball game, spend time with friends and connect those gifts to his hand. Trace the sunbeams to the sun. Connect the gifts of God to the God who loves you. Enjoying God means enjoying his gifts. And finally, the third thing of what it means to enjoy God in this psalm is this, in verses 9 through 11. It's enjoying salvation. Look at verses 9 through 11. It says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One, see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, it's a great, it's a great verse, even in the context for David, right? Because in this verse, we see that David and even the saints in the Old Testament believe something about eternal life. But friends, we know something more about these verses. Why? Because there were two sermons preached on Psalm 16, and in those sermons, we learn that verses 9 through 11 point prophetically to Jesus, the Holy One. Where are these two places? Well, verse 10 is quoted by Peter and by Paul in Acts. Peter preaches this sermon in Psalm 16, from Psalm 16:10, to preach the resurrection during Pentecost. 
in Acts chapter 2. And he says that David was not the true Holy One, but that Jesus was. He says, how do we know this? Because David died, he was buried, and we have his tomb where his body decayed. But the true Holy One, he says, the son of David, he died, he was buried, and now we have his empty tomb that he saw no corruption. And Paul made this same point in Acts chapter 13. He says that David died and his body saw corruption or decay, but that Jesus died and his body saw no corruption because of the resurrection. And then Paul concluded his sermon by saying this, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. David enjoyed God by enjoying his salvation. And so for us, enjoying God means enjoying the Savior and our salvation. I don't know if any of you saw the news story in Newsweek a few weeks ago. It was just a random story about a five-year-old boy who was in a community center for a wedding that their family was celebrating. And there's a security cam footage of this, but basically a little boy's playing in the community center and he bumps into a sculpture. And you see this sculpture starts to wobble and the little boy looks up at it and he tries to prop it up, but he doesn't quite have the strength. And so the sculpture falls off crashes to the ground, and breaks into pieces. And the community center said, this sculpture is beyond repair. And so what did they do? They sent a bill to this little boy's family for, wait for it, $132,000. This family was supposed to pay for this sculpture. And they are looking at having to take out uh, an extra a home equity uh, mortgage in order to pay that debt. But the, the, the most heartbreaking thing about this part of the story was that the mom of this five-year-old little boy said that her little boy is having trouble sleeping at night because he has all these bad dreams about knocking over this sculpture. For me, it terrified me because I've got a nine-year-old a seven-year-old and a four-year-old little boy, and I'm like, I'm never going to any more museums in D.C. But there was a second story included in the same article about a similar incident that happened in the U.K. in 2005, and another five-year-old little boy was in this museum, and he bumped into another display. It was a jug that was over 200 years old, and as he bumped into this jug, it fell off, and it broke into more than 60 pieces. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Justice, if you break something, you're supposed to pay for it. But what was beautiful in this second story was that the museum did not demand payment, and their response was completely different than this first community center. Their response to this family was, we're so glad that you came, and we hope that you'll come back and visit again. Now, don't get me wrong, it's justice to pay for something that you broke. But don't miss how beautiful this second story is, that there's grace. You see, the grace in this story is the message of the Bible. You see, you and I 
have broken something infinitely more valuable than simply a jug or a sculpture. That it's broken and shattered into more than 60 pieces as sin and brokenness has entered into this world. And friends, we owe a debt that we cannot pay. We don't have the resources to pay for that debt. But instead of being held accountable to pay that debt, someone else has absorbed that cost. They've taken the penalty for us. That person is Jesus, right? That's the gospel. But it's not simply that, hey, you don't have to pay for this, but the gospel also invites us back into his presence. You see, friends, we enjoy God by enjoying his salvation. We enjoy God, why? Because we know that he enjoys us. He doesn't simply tolerate us, but he actually enjoys us. Now, if I'm honest, I can tell you this. Most days, I think that I'm a failure. I do. Most days, it's my default mode. I, I have that, those bad dreams of that five-year-old, right? He recognizes that he knocked over the sculpture, that he's guilty, that he did something wrong. And for me, that's my default way of thinking. When I wake up in the morning, when I go to bed at night, I know that I'm a failure, I know that I'm not as patient with my kids as I should have been. I know that I'm not as sacrificial and loving towards my wife as I should have been. I know that I haven't been the perfect employee that day, that I haven't done everything as I ought to have done. My sins are ever before me, and it's easy to think, wow, God's barely tolerating me. But that's just not true. The most amazing verse in all of Scripture is perhaps Zephaniah 3.17, which says what? It says, he... God, the Lord of the universe, doesn't just tolerate us, but instead he rejoices over us with singing. Can you believe that? While I'm rehearsing my failures, while I'm having bad dreams about knocking over the sculpture, God is enjoying me and celebrating me and singing to me and pouring out his love over me. Friends, if we could experience that in those moments, we would enjoy God and experience the good life in radically different ways. So what does it look like to experience the good life this summer? Enjoy God. How do you do that? Enjoy God as a person. Enjoy the gifts of God and enjoy the salvation of God through Jesus Christ. May it be so. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that in my life I don't often enjoy you, that it's easy to rehearse my failures or others' sins against me. It's easy to live a life of envy, of looking at what others have and what we don't have. But Father, enable us to see the gifts of God that come through the person of God Enable us to get a small taste, a brief glimpse of eternal life, of abundant life, that we might be willing to go through hell on earth to be with you forever. Father, open our eyes to this. Enable us to enjoy you by being in your word, by being with the people of God, by celebrating all the good things that you have brought to us.
Father, we ask that you would do this for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.